Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Well, let's talk about some vanishing civilizations and some of your work. What have you been up to lately? Oh, George, you know, it's, um, the, the, the biggest discoveries now are in the technology, unquestionably. The fossils, obviously, I keep finding and discovering more fossils and more giant body parts and more scratch marks, claw marks, teeth marks, skin, fossilized petrified skin of large creatures, um, you know, going up to 300 meters, what is that, 1,000 feet. Wow. Um, uh, small ones, small giants, large giants, all various sizes of giants, all kinds of reptilian teeth, hearts, lungs, um, all kinds of claws, um, hooves, etc., etc. So my museum keeps expanding and growing. And, um, and, um, but the big thing really is our, our rapid expansion in starting to truly understand ancient advanced technology. And uh, that, is, that really gives me the most joy at the moment, where we're truly getting to come into grips of, with what they used and how they used it and showing the evidence of the fact that this is actually advanced technology. It's not just a bunch of stones. And let's talk about some of these uh, ruins. Uh, how did you come across this story? Well, uh, you know, the people that have been listening to your show and people that watch my website and my, my videos will, will be aware of this. Uh, for those that are new, welcome. This is, in my opinion, probably and possibly one of the biggest stories in in archaeology in the last hundred years uh, because we've uncovered or I have uncovered I guess I can say that um, the largest vanished civilization that's ever been uncovered on earth because more than as you mentioned in your in, in, uh, introduction there are more than 10 million of these stone circle ruins in southern Africa which really between South Africa and Zimbabwe mostly which is just north of us, and then um, some of it is in Botswana, which is sort of northwest of us, and some of it is Mozambique to the east and north of us, but mostly South Africa and Zimbabwe. And so the, the stone circle ruins have been, the, the awareness of them goes back 500 years. Jeez. When the Portuguese first came around the Cape of Good Hope on the way to, to India and, and the east, Cape of Good Hope is known as Cape Town. Um, so when they came around the Cape of Good Hope and they landed up on the, the shores of, of what is today Mozambique uh, and South Africa and that part, the Indian Ocean, uh, and they asked the local tribes when they met the local tribes, this was in the late 1400s, early 1500s. It's 500 years ago. And they, they found some of these ancient ruins. They went all the way up to Great Zimbabwe. And uh, when they asked the local tribes that they encountered who built these structures, they were told, we didn't build them. We're just occupying them. And, um, and so the, that's how far back the awareness of these stone circles go. And then, then nothing happens until, the, I guess, the rediscovery of, um, of Great Zimbabwe in, in, seven, in uh, 1876, I think it was, 1875, around there, 1876, when... Um, when I think it was an American that was there somewhere in in, um, in Great Zimbabwe, and he brought a German archaeologist or German explorer called Karl Mauch, 
and he showed him the Great Zimbabwe ruins. So when when Great Zimbabwe was shown to the Europeans in around 1876, that then created a wave of interest in these stone circle structures and these stone circle ruins in southern Africa. And um, then that then brought a host of explorers and aristocratic you know, explorations. You know, you can imagine in those days, the only people that could go and explore these far and distant exotic lands were the wealthy aristocrats from Europe. That's it. Right. So, Right. It was. It wasn't as if it was humanitarian, or it was all. Let's go and find some treasure, uh, discover some exciting places, see what lands we can conquer, and see how much stuff we can loot and bring back for our personal collection that we can sell, and for the museums. <laughs> so, so you got to put things into context here. Michael, uh, what w- what would you say would be the significance of the stone ruins? Well, the significance, in my opinion, is that they, first of all, they tell us that there was a huge vanished civilization here. There were, and this went on thousands and thousands of years. So there are a number of significant points. First of all, it tells us that this civilization goes back 300,000 years. Okay. Pay attention to this number. I'm not saying 3,000 or 30,000. I'm saying 300,000. Thousand years, and I'll share some evidence with you how I can be so confident about this. And this evidence I'm referring to now is actually relatively new. I only really got this evidence in in January 2020, just before the lockdown nonsense hit us. So, so we firstly were dealing the significance is that we're dealing with an incredibly old civilization. The next significant thing is that we're dealing with the the vastness of it, the large the the sheer numbers of these ruins, 10 million or more. The next point of significance is that it exposed the, the ancient advanced technology, the tools, the technological tools that I've collected for my museum, that's in my museum for everyone to see. And out in the mountains, still they, they, they cover the mountains, the technology is actually lying on the land as well. And I'll, I'll go more into that if you want to go in that direction. Yeah, please. I'd love to hear. We've got some time. Go ahead. Yeah, so so just finish the significant points, and then um, and then um, the fact that the stone circles themselves are energy generating devices, so uh, that they weren't dwellings for people or animals, that they were actually built with no doors and entrances, and that every stone circle generates energy, generates sound frequencies. Those sound frequencies that move through the walls create magnetic fields, and those moving magnetic fields obviously, create electromagnetic fields. So this is very advanced knowledge of the use of sound, resonance, and frequency. And the other significant thing is that all of this activity points to the presence and the work of the Anunnaki. Enki and his gold mining um, clan that came down here to Southern Africa mining gold you know all about it. Anyone that studied or read Zachariah Sitchin right. and then read uh, Anton Parks, more recently, all his brilliant translation, brilliant works, talks in great detail about the mining of gold, the obsession with gold, and this place called the Abzu that they refer to, which seems to be Zimbabwe and South Africa, and they found huge amounts of gold here. And the the, the evidence that I'm finding more and more, on the, almost on a, a weekly and a monthly basis, of more ancient gold mines is just staggering. Are they still uh, mining for gold down there now, Michael? Uh, gold 
They, <laughs> yes and no, or no and yes. Uh, first of all, we have uh, we have very good intelligence from very advanced photographic and ground penetrating radar technology that has been shared with me over the last ten years. Uh, we have uh, very strong visual indicators of underground tunnels, and when I say underground tunnels, I don't mean just one or two. I'm talking hundreds of underground tunnels that seem to contain loads, tons and tons of gold in each tunnel, and tons from from a hundred tons to a few thousand tons of gold. So, yes, there, there seems to be there seems to be gold lying, processed gold. Mind process gold lying in these tunnels underground. Um, they are very difficult to get to, and there also seems to be some sort of an energetic distortion when you dig to find these tunnels. Uh, and I speak from experience. We've spent a lot of time and money and effort to try and find one of the most accessible tunnels, and it became very difficult. Uh, if you don't know how to dig tunnels, if you don't have an engineering background, if you don't have the right tools and equipment, it's very, very difficult. Um, and it's very, very expensive. That's the next thing. So anyone thinks they're going to they're gonna go dig the tunnels and get the gold out, you know, you have another thing coming. Uh-huh. It's not as simple as that. Are these extraterrestrials um, we're talking about or humans with incredible technology? Uh, these, at this stage, it's all pointing to the Anunnaki. So, you know, call them extraterrestrials right. or other dimensional beings. Um, it all depends... To what you subscribe, what space is at the moment. You know, I'm beginning to think more and more that space is actually just a different dimension. That may be what NASA has been showing us and the sci-fi movies have been showing us about space may not necessarily be true. That space is actually just a different dimension. So that's a whole very another interesting discussion, by the way. <laughs> Michael, you discovered some kind of cone-shaped tool. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's that's really that's really critical, and I guess that's one of my contributions towards archaeology and and discovering ancient advanced yeah. technology. And it actually, George, it was by by accident, completely by accident, that I discovered the cone shaped tools. And the reason I say this is, when I first started to walk and explore the stone circles here in around my little town, the little mountainous town of Waterfall Burfen or above the waterfall, that's what it means in, in Dutch, the original Dutch, Waterfall Boefen. And um, and I started to walk and explore the stone circles in my area and the mountains around me. Uh, in the first six months, I walked through about a thousand stone ruins. And that brings me back to you know the significance and, and how far back it goes and how many stone circles there are. So I thought, well, if, if I can walk through a thousand stone circles in six months, there must be at least a hundred thousand of these. And uh, and then I started to count them, and, and I realized that there's a lot more than that. There's 10 million or more. But um, the cone-shaped tools became significant because in among the stone circles and the mountains, I started to pick up these weird cone-shaped stones. And to anyone that starts to look at you know tools and artifacts and archaeological stuff, they jump out like a sore thumb. So I started to collect and bring them to my little museum that I started in 2008. Uh, that is now grown, by the way, to a museum of you know hundreds, uh, possibly over a thousand uh, artifacts on display, like I mentioned. And and I brought these cone-shaped tools to the museum, not realizing that what I was actually collecting 
weren't cone-shaped tools. They were actually fossilized and petrified spikes and teeth and claws from dinosaurs and other extinct creatures. But among them were a few that could be defined as actual cone-shaped tools. But it's the fossilized body parts that made me call them cone-shaped tools. And then I started to research cone-shaped tools in history, and I realized that every ancient culture and civilization was fascinated and has very explicit um, images and, and statues and carvings of people in ancient times holding cone-shaped tools, using cone-shaped tools, healing with cone-shaped tools, mining with cone-shaped tools, and doing a whole bunch of stuff with cone-shaped tools in their hands. And then I realized it goes you know, from, from the Sumerians to England to Northern Europe to the Americas, North America, the Mayas, to South America, obviously Southern Africa, to Australia, cone-shaped tools in every bloody ancient civilization. So it was by accident I thought that the petrified teeth and spikes and horns were cone-shaped tools, only to realize later that they were actually petrified body parts. No. Uh, it's an interesting accidental discovery, yeah. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.